0: Thank you, Megan and Ron. Appreciate that very much. Um, We're going to be uh, continuing in our study in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we are in Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 41 this morning. As we read through the Scripture today, I want to do as I did last week, and that is to comment on the passages of Scripture as we go. And then uh, we'll try to look at uh, some particular phrases and then um, apply the passage to our hearts. I've titled my sermon today, What Causes God to Cry? What Causes God to Cry? And we see that um, it's answered here in this passage. Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. Now as he, that is Jesus, drew near, he saw the city... And wept over it. We have a um, picture, do we, of the uh, of Jerusalem? Um, this is uh, courtesy of Sharon, who had to make the trip over there just for us. <laughs> this is taken from the Mount of Olives, and it is looking towards Jerusalem. And if you see in the foreground, there are some graves. And uh, you remember the Lord Jesus speaking uh, to the Pharisees and saying to them at one point, you are like whitewashed tombs. That's what he's referring to. The tombs of the um, the righteous, the tombs of the prophets, uh, many of them were buried there, and they would whitewash them and garnish them and make them pretty. But they had rejected the message that they had given. So this is the, the reason I, I chose this picture is because this is, probably close to where Jesus was at this moment. And uh, as he was coming from the Mount of Olives, he was coming towards Jerusalem, and he can see the city of Jerusalem in the background there. And uh, he had just come from Bethany, was on his way to the city of Jerusalem. You remember that there was a huge influx of people that had gathered or were gathering at Jerusalem at this time, because it was the Feast of the Passover. It was the national yearly celebration of the Passover feast, and people would come to Jerusalem for that celebration. And so multitudes of people were coming together, and the Lord was sitting on a donkey, on the um, uh, colt of a donkey, coming into Jerusalem, and people were putting down their clothing and palm branches in front of him, and were worshiping him, and singing praise to him, and they were dancing. I won't do it again this week. But uh, they were rejoicing that here was the king coming into Jerusalem. And Jesus is weeping. In fact, the, uh, in the crowd, we read this uh, from last week, that there were Pharisees in the crowd who were offended by the praise that was being lavished upon Jesus. And they said to him, "'Rebuke your disciples.'" tell them to stop. This is wrong. And uh, Jesus said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And so as the procession near Jerusalem, Jesus saw the city and he wept over it. And so I ask you again this morning, what causes God to cry? What causes God to cry? When Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, the term that is used there for his crying is um, really is more like silent tears. Tears streamed down his face, but there was no outward expression apart from the tears. But the term that is used for crying here is quite different. It's the strongest term for crying, and it really is sobbing. It is a, a deep sorrow. And a sobbing and a wailing of uh, tears and and his voice, and as he made his way toward Jerusalem, he descended from the Mount of Olives, and he passed by the tombs that were there, the whitewashed tombs that were set into the hillside, and among those who were buried here were some of the prophets, and. Um, these were the prophets that God had sent to Jerusalem or to Israel over and over again to proclaim His message, to draw His people back to Himself, to, to tell them to repent of their sins and to turn to God for salvation. And they heard the words of the prophets, and they rejected the message, and they killed the prophets, and they stoned them, and they did all kinds of evil things to them. They killed them, and some were buried right on the side of the hill. And as Jesus is descending from the, hill, the, from the Mount of Olives, He's passing by these tombs of the prophets that He had sent to Jerusalem. And I'm sure that all of the history of Israel passed before His eyes or in His mind. The things that He had done to, to plead with the people to turn to God. And they refused. And He cried. And here were the tombs of the prophets that they had killed and they had whitewashed them, they had made them pretty. They had adorned them with uh, different decorations to show them how how much they loved the prophets of Israel that had come to them. But they didn't love the prophets, they killed them. What causes God to cry? Perhaps the Lord Jesus, as he was coming down the Mount of Olives, spotted the tomb of the prophet Zechariah as he passed by, and he was deeply moved by the memory of the prophets who went out in the name of the Lord and were rejected do you remember the Lord Jesus speaking to Saul who was persecuting the church Do you remember what he said when he stopped Paul with that blinding light and he said this Saul Saul why are you persecuting me Jesus was in heaven Saul was on earth but he was persecuting the church And every blow that was against the church and every blow that was against individuals in the church was a blow against the Lord Jesus Christ. And every blow against the prophets of God that he had sent into Jerusalem was a blow against the Lord Jesus Christ. And he remembered. He did not forget. They struck the prophets and God felt the blow. Perhaps he was sobbing. Because of this. And perhaps he was sobbing because of what was about to take place in Jerusalem. Even though there were some in the crowd that were singing his praises. He knew that the destruction of Jerusalem was just around the corner. Their hypocrisy. Their hardened hearts. Would cause them to cease singing his praise. And soon cry out in just a few days. Crucify him crucify him we will not have this man reign over us and as he looked ahead and he saw into the future of what was going to take place in jerusalem and the destruction of the city he was deeply moved and he sobbed with tears matthew chapter 23 uh, beginning with verse 29 gives us a little insight into the heart of god listen as we hear God's thoughts here. Matthew 23:29, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'because you build the tombs of the prophets "'and adorn the monuments of the righteous. "'And you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, "'we would not have been partakers with them "'in the blood of the prophets. "'Therefore you are witnesses against yourself yourselves "'that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets.' Fill up, then, the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of, the right, of righteous Abel to the blood of Zachariah son of Berechiah, who you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why does God cry? I think we see the heart of God in that passage. I think it is because of his compassion on us. How he wants to bless us and yet we push him away. He wants to help us but we don't want his help. He faithfully, patiently warns us of judgment to come and we cover our eyes so that we cannot see and we cover our ears so that we cannot hear and we do not listen to the word of God. Why does God cry? Because he is a merciful God and judgment is coming and judgment is right and it's deserving for us uh, as sinners. He sees the judgment of hell that is coming on sinners who have not repented of their sins. And he wants to gather them as a hen gathers her chicks to himself. And they're unwilling. People listen to the gospel message. They hear the word of the Lord. And they say, not now. Not for me. Some other day. He wants to gather them. And they will not. we want to do our own thing and we're not willing to come to him you know the danger is real the judgment is real and we put him off another day listen to what he says in verse 42 of luke luke 19 42 saying if you had known even you especially in this your day the things that make for your peace but now they are hidden from your eyes if you had known This means if they had understood who he was and if they had accepted him and believed on him, they could have been saved. He came to save them and they didn't want him. God had become a man and he had moved into their neighborhood. He was there dwelling among them. It was God and he had made it clear from the beginning who he was, but they didn't believe. Listen, he turned water into wine. How is that possible? He fed thousands with a few loaves and fish. He caused the winds and the waves to cease. They obeyed his voice. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He caused the lame to walk. And he even raised the dead. In fact, the talk of the town at this time was the raising of Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. He was so dead that he stunk. That's what it says. And that was the talk of the town. And not only did they want to crucify Jesus, but they wanted to put to death Lazarus too because he was a living example of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to raise the dead. Who but God could do that? The evidence is overwhelming. He taught as no one had ever taught. He proclaimed to be God. He proclaimed that He alone could forgive sins. Which only God could do. He made himself out to be God, they said. Well, that's because that's who he was. And they rejected every invitation and they refused every offer of salvation. And as a result, they rejected the peace of God and peace with God, and they would end up in destruction. They rejected each sermon, they hardened their heart with each healing, they sneered at each miracle and blinded their eyes. He came to bring peace because He is the Prince of Peace. Had they repented of His sins, of their sins, He would have gathered them. He would have gathered them to Himself. But they refused. God the Savior standing in front of them. And they would close their eyes to the truth. And so judgment must come. It's only right. Judgment must come. And He says that here but now they are hidden from your eyes. You know, this is an interesting principle in Scripture, and here it is in a nutshell. Light rejected is light denied. Remember that. Write it down. Burn it into your heart and your head. Light rejected is light denied. What does that mean? When God tells us something, or we read something in His Word, and the Lord touches our heart, and He shows us something that we are to believe or that we are to do, that's light. That's God giving us light. And if we say, well, not right now. Another time. It's not for me. I'm going to put it off. I'll think about it. That's light rejected. Light rejected. If God has given us light and we reject it, then he denies us light. What does that mean? We say, Lord, I don't want to see that. I'm going to turn my head from that. And God says, okay, so what you're saying is you don't want light? Okay, I will give you what you want. What's the opposite of light? Darkness. And he allows us to go into darkness. You ever feel confused in your life? You ever feel troubled? You ever feel uncertain, unsure about the future? Go back and ask yourself, has God given me light and I'm not listening? Has God shown me what to do and I've rejected it? Light rejected is light denied. We say no to light, so he gives us darkness. We say no to his salvation, and so he gives us condemnation. We hear the Word of God, God speaks to us through His Word, and we have a choice. Whenever He speaks, whenever we see something in the Scripture, we have a choice, either to accept it, believe it, act upon it, or reject it. And the interesting thing is that the opposite of what I said is true as well. When God shows us something, and we hear His voice, and we see, okay, I understand I know what you want me to do, and we act upon it, guess what? He gives us more light. And so both are true. You reject the light, you go into darkness. You accept the light, he gives you more light. And you grow, and you flourish, and you blossom. But when we don't, we become confused and troubled and disoriented. You know, it's interesting, at the beginning of chapter 19 of this chapter... um, Uh, we have a man who wanted to see Jesus. you remember Zacchaeus? Small man. And he says he wanted to see Jesus, and he couldn't see. And so he climbed a tree in order to see Jesus. And here we have, at the end of the chapter, those who have rejected the light and are made blind. This was the last time Jesus would pass by this way. The very last time. He had gone through Jericho it was, it was Zacchaeus's last opportunity to see Jesus, his last opportunity to um, have an audience with the king. It was the time of their visitation. I believe that each one of us has a time of visitation from the Lord. Do you know that? I think if you were to sit down with every single person here this morning and you were to ask them, has God ever spoken to you? Every one of you would say, yes, I've heard the voice of the Lord. I know when the Lord has tugged on my heart. I remember the day when I was under conviction of sin and the Lord was calling me to salvation. And I had a choice at that time either to believe on the Lord or to reject Him. And every time the Lord tugs at our heart, that is a visitation from God. God is visiting. Don't let Him pass you by. After the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus came down from the mountain and he came into the the crowds and into the towns surrounding the mountain. first person he met was a leper. This was the leper's time of visitation. And the leper did not let the Lord Jesus pass him by and he called out to Jesus and said, Lord, I want to be healed. And the Lord healed him. Then Jesus entered Capernaum and a centurion came to him. It was the time of the centurion's visitation. And the centurion wasn't going to let Jesus pass by, and he said, my uh, servant is sick. And he called upon the Lord, and his servant was healed. Two blind men, it's really interesting when you read in in, um, Matthew, it says, two blind men followed him. Kind of paints an interesting picture, doesn't it? (laughs) Two blind men followed him. They were so desperate to see the Lord that in their blindness they followed him. And called out for the Lord to heal them. them, And he did. He gave them sight. It was the time of their visitation. And as we walk through the gospel accounts, we see Jesus entered into a city. And he never came back that way again. He entered into a region and he never came back that way again. And as he went to these different places, the people of that town or of that place had a visitation from God. It was their day of visitation and they had a choice. Believe or reject him. And today I believe that God is visiting you. He is visiting every single one here. You are hearing the sound of the word of God and the Lord is speaking to you. Don't let him pass you by. You remember the Lord said to his disciples, I must I think it was the King James that says, I must needs go through Samaria. It was a place that no Jew would want to go through. But Jesus said, I need to go through Samaria. Why do you need to go through Samaria? Because there's one woman at a well who's in need of me, and she's been looking for love in all the wrong places. And he sat down with this woman, and it was her day of visitation. And he told her everything about her. You know, when you sit down with the Lord, you read the scripture, he exposes everything in your life. That's good, because you see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior. And that's what he did with this woman. And that day, her day of visitation, she came to know the Lord. This morning in the Lord's Supper, we read about the woman who was caught in the act, the very act of adultery. And she was dragged, probably half naked, in front of the Lord and exposed to everybody there. It was her day of visitation. What a terrible day. She was exposed but all of us stand naked and exposed before the Lord with whom we must give an account. Caught in the act, it was her time of visitation. And as we read it, we learned that she was pardoned from all her sins. It's also true that when God visits us, there should be salvation. That's what He's looking for. He's looking to... He's, it says this, I came to seek and to save... Those who are lost. God is in the business of saving souls. And that's what He does when He has a visitation. He comes with that purpose in mind. God does not force Himself upon us. He says to Jerusalem, How I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. You would not. When light is rejected, judgment must come. And let's listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. That is, he had come and he had visited them, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. God visits with the purpose of salvation. It is with the purpose of seeking and saving those who are lost. And here, He came into these cities, did most of His mighty works there, His miracles. They saw the evidence clearer than anybody else and they rejected Him. And He says, woe to you uh, because of of the judgment that is coming. Each one of you has already received a visitation from the Lord and if you haven't you're receiving one this morning God is visiting your heart your place right here right now he won't appear to you in person but he visits you through his word he is speaking his word is speaking to you this morning you've heard his word preached today and you've heard it taught perhaps Christians have witnessed to you in the past And God has you here this morning for a purpose. This is your day of visitation. Don't let him pass you by. God has been speaking to you. If you are not his child, he wants one thing. He wants you to repent of your sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. For there is no other Savior but him. God is offering to you a gift. It's free. There's no cost. There's no charge. There's no finance plan. It's a free gift. He is offering you a gift. What is the gift? His son. His son for your salvation. His son for your redemption. The forgiveness of sins. That's what he's offering. Eternal life. Do you really want that? Is that something that you really want you realize that you're a sinner. You're on your way to hell. Judgment is coming. And God says, okay, I have made the way possible by sending my son to the cross to die in your place on the, on the tree. He's paid for your sins penalty. Come, receive him as a gift, and you'll be saved. Come, receive him, and you'll, your sins will be forgiven. Come, and I will give you eternal life. Then receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you are his child this morning, the Lord may be speaking to you about some area in your life that you just won't let go. And you're holding on to it. And you're saying, Not now, Lord. Not that, Lord. Not me, Lord. It's hard to say no and Lord in the same sentence. Act on the light he has already given you, and he will give you more light. If you reject what he gives, what light he has given, then you will be in darkness. When we reject God's light, we're in the dark. And with darkness comes judgment. Really, it's a a choice. The Jews of Jesus' day chose not to believe. Remember the verses we looked at. I would have gathered you. That's what God's heart and desire was. But you would not. In other words, your choice was, no, I don't want you. I don't want you reigning over me. They didn't believe him then, and Jerusalem continued in unbelief after the resurrection, and they continue in blindness to this day. In Romans 11.25, it says this, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Jesus, entering into Jerusalem, wept. Why does God cry? Take a look at verse 43. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, this is, in two verses, an overview of what is going to take place in Israel's future at this time, the future at this time. Um, We get a fuller explanation of that in Luke chapter 21, and we will leave that for another sermon coming up. But there are some things here that I want to touch on, For now, the Lord is revealing his judgment upon a people that have rejected him, and he's telling them that there is coming a time when Jerusalem and the temple within Jerusalem is going to be destroyed by invading armies. Forty years after this prophecy, uh, the prophecy began to unfold, and there are five parts to this particular prophecy. We're going to look at them one at a time. So first of all, Uh, Verse 43, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. The word embankment literally means a pointed stake. Okay? It's not like a T-bone or sirloin. It's a wooden stake that is put into the ground and it's got a pointed top on it. Large uh, wooden structure. And it's a... um, Sometimes it's called a palisade. And that is literally what happened. Jerusalem, of course, was a walled city. It had large uh, stoneworks around the entire city, and it was completely uh, enclosed. Uh, in A.D. 66, the Jews revolted against Rome, and the Roman general Titus came to Jerusalem and surrounded the city with a Uh, palisaded mound. He put stakes of wood all the way around the city, and uh, it was meant to keep the Jews inside the city and basically starve them to death. And uh, so that's what he did first. Your enemies will build an embankment around you. So this thick fence with pointed tops was meant to keep people from entering into the city and keep people from exiting the city. But it also stop the supply chain so when you have trade going on and you've got a wall around a wall and you're controlling the outer wall you can stop trade from coming in you can stop food from coming in you can stop the water flow from coming in there's a lot of things you can do when you control the wall and that's what he was doing and he was trying to starve them and weaken them so he could attack but the Jews were fighters and they sent out sorties, you know, you've, we heard the term sorties quite a bit when it came to flights over um, Iraq or Afghanistan or whatever. Well, these weren't flying sorties, these were men who were uh, fighters and they would go out from the uh, walled city of Jerusalem and they would take fire with them and they would burn the, the stakes that surrounded the city. And so that didn't work too well. And so they were able to destroy the uh, palisade or the embankment. Second, Jesus says, surround you. Surround you. So Titus saw that the wood wasn't going to work. He needed something that wasn't going to burn. And so he built a masonry wall, and they brought in troops of soldiers, and they cut off every possible escape route out of the city, Um, And cut off the city from trade. The army completely encircled the city of Jerusalem. And if you lived in Jerusalem, it was too late. But Titus was a very clever general. He he began to to, uh, uh, lay siege on the city. But he did it at the time of the um, Passover. The time when the city would fill with people people from all the surrounding towns and villages would come and gather together in the city of Jerusalem and he let them come and he let them through and he let them in and then he blocked them in, locked them in, kept them in. And so there was probably a million or more people uh, in the city surround you. They could have had peace it was the day of their visitation. They could have had peace and they rejected the Lord Jesus. And now they were facing judgment. Third section of this prophecy, and close you in on every side. The term means to hem you in. It's like a girdle to keep, you know, the body tucked in, to keep a tight hold on the city. There's constant pressure of the inhabitants to give up. Now imagine being in the city. And the the water supply is cut off and you can't drink and you're digging wells and they're not too good. And imagine that you can't get the fresh vegetables and the fresh fruit that would come in from the outside into the city and you begin to starve. And now you have an overpopulated city that cannot be fed. And the siege went on and on. They completely encircled the city. And if you lived in Jerusalem, it was too late. You could never leave. Close you in on every side. Um, In a game of chess, there's a phrase that you never want to hear. You don't mind hearing check, but the moment you hear checkmate, you're done. And that's what Titus was saying here. Checkmate. It's through. You will not escape. Checkmate. There is no... Longer any possibility of winning. It's over. It's just a matter of time. Then it says, level you and your children within you to the ground. Eventually, in this siege, the uh, conditions would become so intolerable and the people would become so weakened that the armies could just simply come into the city and take over. And they would break through the walls of the city and level it and the children to the ground. The phrase literally means to beat something level with the ground level. In other words, pulverize uh, the city. And the invading army, the Lord is saying, will demolish the city. The casualties will be heavy. The city will take a pounding and Jerusalem and the temple will fall. It refers not only to the buildings but to the people. In April, AD 70, Titus began the siege of Jerusalem and it lasted for five months. He surrounded the city with three legions of um, soldiers. And we know from, the, um, from history that a legion could be as many as 5,000 men. 5,000 armed men. Three of them. 15,000 men around the city. In addition to that, he had one more legion that was stationed at the Mount of Olives. And so they were ready for a battle. They were ready uh, for anything that would come their way. The time, as I said, um, was to coincide with the Passover, when the um, the people would come for the feast and the city would swell, and then he cut off all escape. He would not let them out, and the siege began to work. The Jews in the city began to be so weakened and starving, and they began to die from starvation. And and, uh, Josephus, who is a historian at that time and was allowed to write about these things, said that they had stacked up bodies in Jerusalem like cords of wood. There were so many that had died. Women began to eat their own children because of starvation, And finally, after five months, the Roman soldiers broke through the city walls and slaughtered men and women and children. No pity was shown to the children or the aged or those who might claim some kind of social status above the rest. The people, the priests, even the infants were massacred. Hundreds of thousands of people died. Josephus says that it was about 1.1 million people that were slaughtered and so i ask you this morning again what causes god to cry jesus saw the consequences that would come upon the city of jerusalem and to the his own people that they had rejected him and that this would have to come they blinded their eyes and judgment must come and he wept over the city of jerusalem To reject peace is to invite war. And that's what they chose. And this is the city that rejected and crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the city that was destroyed in A.D. 70, just as Jesus predicted. The fifth uh, item in this um, prophecy is this. And they will not leave in you one stone upon the other. The general Titus gave the command to raise the entire city to the ground. And the only portion that remains today is the Western Wall, or it's known as the Wailing Wall. This is also the time when the Jewish temple was destroyed and not one stone was left upon the other. Titus actually, from what I've read from historians, didn't order the temple to be destroyed. My understanding is that he wanted to capture the temple and that he wanted to use the temple as a monument for, uh, for his own gods and a monument for his own military strength and might, but that the Jews so angered the soldiers that came into the city that they torched it and they burned it. And as they burned it, the gold and the silver, the, the precious metals that were inside the temple began to melt. So hot was the heat. And as the the uh, gold melted down the walls, it began to work its way into the crevices between the large stones. And that the military, so the soldiers, looked at the gold that they they would waste, and they began to take huge pry bars and began to take one stone off of the other, so that they could reach and gather the gold and the precious metals that had melted. And so the prediction of the Lord, in spite of the general's comments. Um, the prediction of the Lord came true exactly as he had said. It was on August 10th, AD 70. Titus took the city and set, the, set fire to the temple. The date, by the way, this is an interesting historical um, event. You remember that this is not the first temple. And it's not the destruction of the first temple. The first temple was destroyed on exactly the same day in 586 B.C., same day, August 10th, A.D. 70, this temple was set ablaze and it was destroyed. And then the Romans went out. In the picture that we saw earlier today, the city looks very bleak. I, in fact, I chose the only picture that showed some trees in the area. At the time of when Jesus was, was here, um, the city was surrounded with uh, trees, with forests, parks, park-like um, area. And the Romans took all the trees and they demolished them. They cut them all down and there was tree trunks and stubs that were there and it looked like a barren wasteland. And the reason for it was that they wanted people who would ever come there not to recognize this as a city that was ever inhabited. And for 10 miles around the city, there was a desolated ruin that no one could recognize. What causes God to cry? It's stated very clearly here, because you did not know the time of your visitation. There was no generation like it when God came down from heaven and lived in their neighborhood. There was no generation like this. And he showed through signs and wonders that he was in fact God, and they would not have him. Yet here he was. He had come for their salvation, and they wanted nothing to do with him. He had sent his prophets for centuries, and they killed his prophets too. Now God sent his son, and they would kill him and crucify him as well. Jesus said, or or it says in John chapter 1, verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And as he rode on the donkey and he passed by the tombs set into the hillside, the tombs of the prophets and the saints, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. But this message has to have some application to us too. God has already sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross, to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. And he has also sent witnesses out into the world, and some of you are his witnesses, and you speak on his behalf as ambassadors that God wants to be reconciled. He wants you to be reconciled with him, and we preach the message of reconciliation God wants you to have peace. God wants you to have salvation. God wants you to have eternal life. That's the same message. It's no different. God's purpose in sending preachers and teachers out into the world to to tell you of the gospel. The reason that we have the, the Bible today to tell us how we can be saved is because God is in the business of saving souls. This is the time of our visitation. This is the time. How do you respond to him? Do not let him pass you by. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. As Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem, it was their day of visitation. It was a bona fide offer of his salvation to them, and they rejected him. They didn't have another chance. This may be your last day on earth. I don't know. But you're being given a bona fide offer of salvation. God is calling you. If you don't know him, he is calling you. Come and trust him as your savior. And as God looks down the corridors of your history, what does he see? Does he see a person who has bowed the knee and has taken his son as your own personal savior? Or does he look down the history of your time and see one who says, not now, another time, some other day? And you let him pass pass by. What causes God to cry? It's when men and women have the opportunity to trust him. And they don't. They reject him he also knows there's coming a day of judgment. Just like there is coming a day of judgment for Jerusalem, so there is a coming judgment for all who reject the Lord. The Bible teaches us that men in the last days, or people in the last days, will become lovers of self. Lovers of ourselves. Lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And there's coming a day when in flaming fire, God will take vengeance on those who do not know God and that do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What causes God to cry? I think it's that some here have heard the gospel message and have never responded. Some have heard and never believed. They have turned a blind eye to the gospel and they may be lost for all eternity. I think that's what causes God to cry. Light rejected is light denied. This is your time of spiritual opportunity. This is your day of visitation. And He is calling you to avoid the catastrophe of rejecting Christ. This is your day. Will you trust Him? Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, we thank you for your word that is vivid and clear. We thank you for the light that you have shed uh, into our hearts. that We might see our sin and see the consequences of rejecting the offer of salvation. We pray, Lord, for anyone here who still has not believed in you, that, Lord, today would be the day of their salvation, this day of visitation to them, that you would draw their hearts to you, And that they would trust you, Lord Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. We ask it in your name. Amen.